We live in a fantasy world now. Reality has been destroyed. This is the time that we really need to pay attention. The probabilities are overwhelmingly on gold's side. That is the best environment to see gold increase its value. Welcome to Palisades Gold Radio. I'm your host, Tom Bodrovix. Joining me today is R.C. Williams and Juliana Ormond from Sherlock Market Research, working on the Sound Money Act. Thank you both for joining me today. How are you? Fantastic. Great, Tom. Thanks for having us on today. So, of course, we're going to be speaking about the Sound Money Act. So why don't we start by talking about what it is and why you see it as an important step? Hmm. Yeah, the Sound Money Act, in essence, is the difference between slavery and freedom. We'll come back to that in a bit. But the essence of the Sound Money Act is based on Article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution. Most people don't realize that states are allowed to mint their own legal tender as long as it's gold and silver. A gentleman named Kevin Freeman, who's based out of Dallas, he does a show called The Economic War Room. He wrote a book called Pirate Money. And in the process of doing that, he realized that the framers of the Constitution put us in a position where we could once again stave off federal government overreach. And the way that we do that is through the states. The way that it works in the U.S. is the states give the federal government few and defined powers. And anything they don't give them, the states retain that as well. But the framers in their wisdom understood that economic freedom was going to be as important as anything else. So they laid this out for us. And the Sound Money Act is based on that. So in short, each state would be able to mint its own currency, gold and silver, and then it meets three requirements. One, you declare gold and silver legal tender. Two, you make it transactional, which then makes it functional. When you do those three and you utilize a debit card for your transactions, just like you would every day, mm-hmm. except you're paying in gold and silver. And Tom, the state is the backstop against federal overreach, because as it stands right now, the federal government is so in our pocket and they're printing money like it's going out of control. There's no way to protect your wealth. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's a couple pieces that I think we need to kind of pick up on there. Let's start with the elimination of taxation on gold and silver. So is that just the elimination of, let's say, a capital gain based on the value of the metal over time? Yes. So it does do that. And what had happened before, there are other states that have tried this prior and they took step one. They declared it legal tender. But then what happens is it's a taxable event, right? Because it's looked at as a capital gain. In order to avoid that, you have to make it transactional which means that you or I can go to the store and pay for our groceries with gold and silver just as easily as we can with fiat. Once you take that step, the logical way to do it is to make it electronic. You would use a debit card, like if anyone who watches this show uses GlintPay or Kinesis or any of these platforms, they already have it for private enterprise. What the Sound Money Act proposes is that the states actually take control of that, make it transactional, functional, and electronic, And then that relationship with your gold and silver in the state depository is custodial. So unlike the feds who can and the banks who can leverage up your money and do whatever they want, the states can only hold it and track transactions on your behalf. And so it is as easy for you to put money into that system, gold and silver, as it is for Tom to go to the depository, get his gold and silver back, they hand it to him and they say, have a great day. So what are some of the states that are leading the way here in these legal respects in making gold and silver money again? 
So I want to start with Florida, Texas, and Utah. And since we live in Florida, we really want Florida to be first. Yeah. yeah. Um, South Carolina has introduced a version of their bill. Oklahoma has done the same, as well as Missouri. And we actually had a hearing on this in New Hampshire. So in the way the United States is designed, New Hampshire's theme is live free or die. So they are a, a, a strong individual rights type of state. And it was very interesting to hear the testimony. Our, our partners at Citizens for Sound Money actually went to testify at that hearing. And one of the questions that came up from the legislators is, why do we need this? People can already do it. And, and so that shows you where the states are at. Now, that group heard enough testimony uh, and they were the outreach from their constituents was so strong that they're looking at taking the next steps. They understand it. But there are multiple states that are making an effort here. And mm -hmm. it's exciting for us because what we do at Sherlock Market Research is we provide the insights that are necessary and work to help people in their states who want to see this come to fruition to do what they need to do to help their legislators understand and then to get that done. Mm -hmm. So is Florida really, you know, in some ways a key state to get to adopt this legislation? You know, it, it is, Tom, I, 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 we would agree with you. Florida has led the way on so many things. Um, economic freedom is huge. And given our structure, um, we believe that what's happening right now is other states are introducing their version of the bill, but they're watching very closely mm -hmm. how Florida handles this. And that will largely be an indicator to the other states of what they should be doing. But ultimately, it really does come down to the people because we're going to get bucked on this from the different states, right? The feds don't want this to happen. So we really need to be supporting what it is that our legislators are doing. If they're backing the Sound Money Act, then we need to back them and let them know that their constituents are there with them because, you know, the Sound Money Act is our freedom. You know, they want to enact the CBDC. That's total slavery. They don't even call it money. It's called units. OK, we don't want that on our soil, do we? No. So we need to go back to our gold back standard of our money. So I know Texas already has a state depository. Does mm -hmm. it have a way to transact for everyday purchases? So Texas has the depository. And what's interesting is we see what happens with legislators. And one of the things we love about the Sound Money Act bill is that you are very quickly able to assess who the friends and enemies of economic freedom are. So Texas does have a state depository. Both Kinesis and GlintPay have offered to come in and donate their technology to help the state depository to facilitate this. The Texas legislature went through four emergency sessions, and they were supposed to get this bill through, and they did not. So what ended up happening in Texas is it's now a referendum. So it's going to be on the ballot this year, and the people of Texas are going to have a chance to vote for their economic freedom. We don't necessarily care how we get there, right? As long as we get there. Mm -hmm. But it's an interesting scenario. Texas, in large part, is ready. They just need the legislators who are supposed to represent the people to get on board. And it's not, I don't think it's going to be all that different in the other states. They're just going to have varying degrees of how they view economic freedom. You have New Hampshire on one side who is totally free. Hey, go do that. That's great. And then on the other side, you have some people that say, I don't think we should open that box at all. It's too scary. But if we have one state that passes it, then everybody can use it because you can use your card in any state just because only one state is now legal for using the tender. Interesting. So how does that work? If one state adopts it as legal tender, that means mm -hmm. that every state has to accept it? 
So here's what's interesting, Tom. So this was accounted for in the bill. The merchant can still accept fiat. The magic of this is that when you use your debit card, it will automatically convert from gold and silver to fiat. So the merchant doesn't have to do this. And there's really no need to know. You're paying for a service. The the flip is happening in the background and the merchant gets it in fiat. Here's the crazy part, Tom, is that if a merchant decides to accept gold and silver, they pay about a third of the fees that they do now on the credit card networks. So once we get this through and people understand that this is a parallel economy, imagine what happens when merchants figure out that it's beneficial Mm -hmm. for them to do this. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. So would this also end up kind of creating the need for each state to have a bullion depository? That's at least the Florida version of the bill states that the state should have one. Mm -hmm. How they go about that, Tom, is going to be interesting. Now, Texas has built one. Florida will likely RFP out and have control of a depository situation before they build their own. I think each state is going to figure out the most effective way for them to do that. And I think you'll see some show and prove. So they'll probably RFP out to a private vault where everything is squared up. And as this grows and becomes more popular, they can justify the cost of building their own depository that is completely owned and operated by the state. Mm -hmm. So who ends up, let's say, paying for the implementation of the depository, this creation of the debit card system? Like, How long would all of that take and who ends up being, you know, footing that bill? So in the Florida version of the bill, we have a chief financial officer in the state. So the CFO's office is tasked with figuring these components out, how they're going to implement, and in essence, how long it's going to take. At this point, we don't, we're not set yet on how long something like that might take, but the economic impact is actually minimal to the citizens of Florida or another state if they do it the right way. If you RFP out, your costs are relatively low. Uh, the technology companies have all offered to donate their technology to the states so that they can implement. So there are people who are doing this who are saying, this is the right thing to do. There's going to be a huge economic impact, which they'll benefit from. So they're willing to do what it takes in order to help make that happen. So in the Florida version of the bill, the financial impact to the state of Florida is actually minimal. Because they're adopting somebody else's technology? Correct. And they, they have control of that technology. The, the technology companies have been clear that they will donate and help to implement, but the states will ultimately control how that works and have complete oversight over mm-hmm. You know, saving in metals to protect from inflation makes sense to me. But if people are just going, let's say, from metals back to dollars just to do that transaction, does this end up in a way being the same on net as just transacting in cash? So I'm going to say, actually, with the CBDC eminent and coming, that everybody should be taking their fiat currency and buying gold with it, right? So when they flip the switch, you know, you have your gold and silver back currency because they are trying to get away, do away with the fiat currency. It's just a matter of time before that happens. So, Tom, an interesting thing also happened to us when we were uh, talking with the legislators uh, in, in the Florida legislature is you have the impact of what does it look like when gold and silver is used as everyday tender? Well, welcome mm-hmm. back to prior to 1971, right? That's how life was. Um, one of the things that came up, especially in districts where people are historically underserved, is that for the first time in many people's life, 
they have the opportunity to grow and protect wealth by utilizing these tools because they can buy fractionally. So maybe they can't afford $2,000 for an ounce, but they can put $100 here, $100 there. It starts to change the game and, and provide a more equal economic footing. So the, the logic, Tom, is that now we have more economic parity and people have an equal opportunity and access, many for the first time, to build and protect their wealth. But that transacting in gold and silver is a parallel economy item. So it's not an, it's not an either or. You can right. still do both. But to help people understand, it's one of those things where once they see it in action and they say, I put $500 on my, my gold and silver card, uh, I spent $300 and I have $250 left. When they start to see that level of appreciation and they start to understand how it works, not only do we have people engaged saying, man, what a great idea, but we also get a handle on the out of control spending of the Fed because right now they just print more money. Right. And every time they do that, we, we have a number of friends who are elderly or retired yep. and we're always talking to them. We're saying, we're praying because we don't want this to go sideways because everything you have is locked up in that system. Mm-hmm. Um, providing right. a, an option at this point is critical. I want to say that, you know, we've been talking about practicalities, but I really want to talk about the fact that mm-hmm. with the gold and silver backed currency, we're now attacking the black market, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just print money and do the things that you want to do. Now mm-hmm. everything is accounted for and we can see it, it gives honesty to our money, really. Well, you know, that's something that I wanted to ask you guys about. You know, this seems to be kind of addressing the front end of actually transacting in honest money, let's call it. But does this not address really the root of the problem, which I think is lack of government constraint on spending, which was Mm -hmm. obviously sped up by Nixon removing the gold standard in 1971? Mm -hmm. It does, Tom. So think about it. Accountability, right? It's like turning the light on in the kitchen and the roaches scatter, (laughs) right? The states, again, going back to the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 10 is there for a reason. And now what people are seeing is the Ninth and Tenth Amendment of the Constitution in real time. States' rights are critical because when the federal government gets out of control, the states have all the power to rein them in. And just so people are clear, when we say the states, that means you, the person watching this in your state, you have significantly more power then you've been led to believe. And now it's time for you to use it in an effective manner. And Tom, when we do that, it goes back to what Juliana said about things like the black market. And that black market encompasses everything from trafficking uh, all the way to money laundering. You know, We've got people in the US Congress who won't put forward legislation to stop things like stock market speculation, yet they make moves and then two weeks later, a stock tanks or it pops, right? So they're making all the rules and they're not holding themselves accountable. Imagine now, because Jimmy Petronas, our our state CFO's office, asked us a question. They're like, what is the impact on the dollar going to be from this? And we're like, our hope is that the feds understand that they're spending like drunken sailors and they need to rein that in. But we also let them know that there is someone watching the watchers. Mission critical. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's, you know, those are two really important points. The idea that you're returning the power to the people and that the watchers are being watched. Mm-hmm. I think that that's something that a lot of people kind of forget is their ability to have any kind of impact on what's happening to them from, you know, a, a legal or, or legislative process. 
So let's get into a little bit of that. How does that process actually work? Do you need reps in the legislature to partner with? You know, explain to us a little bit about what your guys' role and how that actually ends up in the rollout. Yeah. So when you're doing something like this, here's what happened for us. In the Florida legislature, we got to the point of being assigned to committees in a record amount of time. So the Florida legislature is part-time. People watching this, your state may have a full-time or part-time legislature. Um, Ours does a series of three or four two-week sessions leading up to the start of the main session in the second week of January. So we got out of the gate early and we were consistent and persistent in going to the offices of the people that we knew could make a difference in this. But it really starts with finding the representative that's going to be a great sponsor for you. We were very fortunate, Representative Doug Bankston in the Florida House, he represents a portion of Central Florida, and Senator Anna Rodriguez, who represents South Florida, both understood the importance after we educated them and laid out how the bill would look and gave them all the bullet points in the way that they could interpret them. They said, how can anybody be against this? What a powerful tool. So you get good champions. And then those champions find you other champions. There are co-prime sponsors. Those are the people that work with your main representative and senator to move things along. We were fortunate that uh, our senator, our co-prime sponsor, is the best debater in the Florida Senate. And our co-prime in the House, Chip LaMarca, uh, is the whip. So he's the guy that goes and makes sure that people do what they need to do. So if you get those parts right and you keep what you want, the issue very defined and focused, it makes it easy for people to pick that up. And once you do that, then you figure out with your best estimate what committees your bill is going to be assigned to. When you get that right, then you go visit those people Mm -hmm. and let them know what you're up to. They will ask you who's sponsoring it. You will tell them and you'll lay out the case for them. When we did that, Tom, we got bipartisan support. So this isn't a conservative or liberal bill. Both Democrats and Republicans in the Florida legislature get it. Mm -hmm. And that's the good news. So once you get those parts right, then you get to the point where you can get a committee assignment. That means it's serious. That's the first step to you getting to the House and Senate floor for a vote. So we were able to do that in record time. And and I'll share this, Tom. This is the first time that people are hearing this uh, on a show because as, as of this morning, this started in motion. Because you do those things right, do not think that it's going to be a cakewalk. As we're doing this today, we can share with you that the president of the Florida Senate is working effectively to kill the Sound Money Act bill in Florida. Now, we can let people come to their own understanding as to why. They can simply Google her and look up her history, and you'll begin to understand why that's happening. But this tells you something. Remember earlier, we talked about how this is like turning the light on the roaches. You're going to see who the friends and enemies of economic freedom are. We found the root of the issue, right? That's the other part. This goes back to watching the watchers. If you're vigilant, you root these things out early enough that you can resolve the problem and move things forward. Well, I think that's kind of a monumental task in today's day and age, it really seems, because of all of the, let's say, conflicts of interest that there are within all of these branches of government. But I believe you know, part of the organization presented to the Louisiana legislature yesterday. So how did that go and what does that process look like? Yeah, so it wasn't actually the Louisiana legislature. There is a conservative group that we came in and keynoted for uh, earlier this week. And one of the things we were able to speak on 
is the power of the Sound Money Act as a bill and how economic freedom wins the day. We had a room full of people and a, a, a ton more that were beaming in from all parts of the state. Tom, it is interesting because the story we just told you about how we did what we did, we shared with them. Mm-hmm. And they have two other bills that they're looking to move forward right now. And they're going to take the method that we put forward and utilize it because it is practical and it makes sense. I will tell you this, that the state of Louisiana is making some bold moves around their sovereignty and the things that need to get done. And sound money just fits perfectly with that. So look for them to start making moves on it as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I want to go back to this idea about, you know, a, a state depository. What about confiscation from the federal government? You know, we know that this happened in the 30s. Does this end up creating, you know, in some ways a vulnerability if the federal government wants to seize it? So, Tom, we're back to uh, 9 and 10, right? So we're back to the, the ninth and 10th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. This is where the states, and it's not a direct correlation, but this is actually happening in real time right now in the state of Texas with the federal government. States' rights are a thing. And as bills like the Sound Money Act meet all the requirements for the states to be in charge, the states at any point for anything can tell the federal government to pound sand. Most people don't realize this. The FBI Mm -hmm. and these other three-letter agencies are in the states at the pleasure and the discretion of the state government. If Governor Ron DeSantis wanted the FBI to leave the state of Florida today, He could tell them pound sand. And guess what? They'd have to leave. They don't have jurisdiction like that. So take that now to the Sound Money Act and a state depository. If we've directed the state and our public servants to do this, and by the way, when you read the Florida Sound Money Act bill, it does does address this. And it, it clearly states that the state is required to protect against that exact thing. So the feds, as they did in the 30s with gold confiscation, which, by the way, was voluntary, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, but everybody did it because they didn't have tools like we have today. They thought they were doing the right thing. And ultimately, their wealth got stolen. Today, we've actually we're actually in a position now to block that. So any version of the bill will clearly state that the state itself is responsible to protect us because there's no reason for the fed to come in and try to confiscate. And if they try, you need to step up and do what you've been empowered to do by us. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're using gold and silver as legal tender over Federal Reserve notes, and this gathers enough critical mass, does this end up really nullifying the Fed and its monopoly on money? That would be an awesome outcome. You know, we're in a place, Tom, where, it, like Julian just said, is that the worst thing that could happen? No. Right? No. Here's what we believe would happen as critical mass grows in this in this situation, is that the feds would then recognize that they have an issue. Now, recognizing they have an issue and actually doing something about it are two very different things. But when you put it on front street, as people like to say, the federal government and the Federal Reserve are going to be in a quandary. So the logical play would be that they would try to attack this. Right. They would say this is bad for whatever reason. Yet they're still going to have to address the fundamental question, which is so if we weren't 34 trillion in debt and growing, there would be absolutely no need for this if there was proper oversight. What do you propose to do about it that's better than the states actually doing what they're empowered to do? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. It seems like there are so many, you know, things to pay attention to nowadays. And this is unfortunately another one of them that is, you know, extremely important and that returns a lot of, let's say, the sovereignty to the people and the actual states. Because once you have control over the money or the currency, then that, I think, opens up a lot of control back to the individual. Absolutely. And ultimately, Tom, right, that's what this is all about. Absolutely. It's the the four levels of government. Most people don't realize this. I'll give them to you in less than 30 seconds. There is self-government, there's family government, there is church government, and then there is civil government. The reason when we say that, we tell people, does it feel like it's upside down right now? Yes, because it is, right? The self-government part and the economic freedom part are critical to all the other pieces and reigning in the federal government because they're very limited in their powers. And as we can see in the Texas situation, they're even bad at those powers, which the Constitution also makes an allotment for. Basically, if the feds can't do their few and defined things, the states can step in and take care of themselves. This is a different situation is economic freedom versus border security, but it's very similar when it comes to the people being in charge. Go back to the Trump presidency when he kept saying, you know, I'm returning the power back to the people. Mm -hmm. You know, we abdicated our role in making sure that, you know, we were always in control. And the federal government is now so large that their overreach is astronomical. Mm -hmm. So we have to take back control. You guys gave me an example earlier of how people can, you know, have their voices heard on this and, you know, in a way, put their thumb on the scale. So how do you guys recommend people go about finding more out about this, contacting their legislators and making that difference? Yeah, great question, Tom. So this has actually led to us creating Watchman Action. So Watchman Action actually solves this problem. Everything that we've talked to you about with doing the Sound Money Act we've put into a format that people can use. And so once they're active and we start working with them, we help them with the research that they need. We help them to develop the narrative in a way that is acceptable not only to the general public, but to the legislators that they're going to approach. And then we work with them through that process so that they're effective at having their voice heard. What's been missing, Tom, is that things have been out of order. Right now we look at it where the federal government almost has their foot on our neck. But in essence, the way that it should work is it should be the people. So us, three of us getting together, talking about sound money. We clearly define our issue. We utilize the tools that Watchman Action would provide. And then our surrogates and current public servants who are on our side have clearly defined talking points and marching orders that are measurable of what they need to do. So that works. But there's an added benefit to that, Tom. So we struggle on the conservative side with quality candidates. The smartest people don't want to run because they know that politics is a mess. In Central Florida, we had 10 seats in the state house where no Republican ran. No one would do it, right? So if we get these other parts right that we just mentioned, the best candidates are going to step forward and say, I want to get behind that issue. I know we can fix it. I know I can do it. Well, now the people can measure the efficiency of the public servant instead of them guessing 
what's going on and being frustrated because that guy didn't go do or that lady didn't go do what she said she was going to do. Mm-hmm. That's the power of Watchman Action, Tom. So if people go to Watchman, M-E-N, WatchmanAction.org, you can sign up for updates from us. We keep people updated. If you would like for us to work with you on your initiative, there are ways to do that. People can see all the work that we've done. We make everything we've done on the Sound Money Act transparent so people can take the interviews that we've done or the things that we've written, and they can use them for their version of the plan. What do you think is the biggest criticism or you know, biggest piece of roadblock in your guys' way that is presented when you bring these ideas to a legislator? I'm going to say they're backing by big banks. I mean, you know, their loyalty isn't to us and what we will have happened to those that are greasing their pockets. So I would say that. What would you say? I would agree. Just <laughs> expanding on that, Tom, because Juliana really made the root point is mm-hmm. that when you think about the big banks, this goes against everything mm-hmm. that they've set up because basically we're saying no more slush fund for you, mm-hmm. no more, no more uh, financial rigging. No more uh, fractional reserve banking, right? Power to the people in controlling their wealth. That's obviously going to rub some people the wrong way. And so if we understand that, we also understand that the banks run the Federal Reserve. So the Federal Reserve is obviously not going to be happy because this is a threat to the slush fund and money laundering system that's gotten us in the trouble that we're in now and allowing them to print unlimited amounts of money. That's happening, right? As we mentioned, the the president of the state Senate in Florida, when you track it down, you will see where the issue is. Because logically, there's no other reason to be against something like the Sound Money Act that is probably the simplest Mm -hmm. and clearest legislation that I think I've ever seen. The only reason that you could be against this outside of the basic questions of how it works, and that's fine. We've answered those questions for legislators is that you have a vested interest in an opposite result. Mm-hmm. And that makes you an enemy That's of right. people's economic freedom. Excellent, guys. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to mention before we wrap up? I mean, there are so many pieces to this, and I think it comes down to simple action, really, right? So, yes, I want to say that we, the people, need to start taking action. It is all about action. It's about having our voices heard, Right, because we're not doing a good job allowing our politicians to understand where we're coming from and what we expect from them. So we really need to jump back on board and start speaking up in a unified voice so that we can say we the people are directing the culture of what's happening in America, not globalists and that their agenda and what they want to have happen. This is our America. So I'm asking your audience, the patriots, we're all patriots. It's time for us to stand up. If you're active, grab your friend who isn't right now. If you're looking, there's tools that you can use. There's organizations that you can get involved in. But we, the everyday people, need to be speaking. Yes, we do. Uh, Tom, you know, you doing what you do every day is a huge component of this because we have another outlet where we can share this. And I'd strongly encourage people, uh, go to watchmanaction.org, learn more about what's happening and, and how the resources and tools are there for you to use. I would also encourage people to take a look at our daily publication. We do a daily publication called Rip from the Headlines on the Substack Network. If people go to Sherlock 
exposes.com. We spell Sherlock without a K. So S-H-E-R-L-O-C exposes.com. We publish five days a week and we cover things like this and we provide insights on the news and headlines of the day that help you understand what's going on and what's coming. Perfect. Well, I appreciate your guys' time, your guys' work in trying to push these initiatives forward. And, you know, maybe we can have you back on someday to share some better news and some wins about this. Awesome. Love to. Yeah. God bless you, Tom. Thank you so much for having us on. Excellent. And of course, we'll have those links in the show notes for everybody. Thanks for your time today, guys. All right. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests on this show are not compensated for their appearance. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. Do not base any investment decisions on the information contained. To view our full disclaimer, please visit our website.